And we ask God to open the heavens and pour out his spirit upon us as we seek to learn and study the words of Jesus Christ. May his spirit be with us, alive in us, as we come unto him. We welcome you all here today. I am Dr. D. Todd Harrison as we come forward to bear testimony and bear witness of him who was our Lord, our God, and our King. Of that same Jesus Christ, I bear testimony that I know him. He knows me, and of him I declare to you. He lives today. He rose from the dead on the third day. He was crucified for the sins of this world. He sits enthroned at the right hand of his heavenly Father in majesty and glory. I testify of that mighty prophet, the prophet Joseph Smith, of whom we have continued to read and study about this year as we have watched the Lord Jesus Christ himself speak to his prophet week after week after week, all year long, revealing these great mysteries of the kingdom, these great doctrinal truths, all the great wonderful blessings that God has in store for those who love him and who are faithful in keeping his commandments. We will look again this week at uh, section 125 through 128. We're coming off or, and we're coming off of that wonderful lesson last week in which the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Lord of the of the universe, the Lord who has promised that those who honor him, he will honor. We saw him last week bear testimony over 10 times that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is indeed his church, that the prophet Joseph Smith indeed was his prophet and servant. He testified of that mightily over 25 different times last week. What a wonderful, glorious truth that these, what glorious truths these things are as we learn and study and have the Holy Ghost bear witness to our souls through the words of Jesus Christ that what Jesus is teaching us this year is indeed true. It is the word of God. It is the will of God and the power of God unto salvation. Let's look today at section 125 uh, through 128. A couple of quick uh, uh, sections here we can uh, look at. Uh, and we'll look at verse 1 through 2 of section 125. He says, what is the will of the Lord concerning the saints of the in the territory of Iowa? Verily, thus saith the Lord, I say unto you, if those who call themselves by my name and are saying to be my saints, if they will do my will and keep my commandments concerning them, let them gather themselves together unto the places which shall I appoint unto them by what? By my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., once again, the same Lord Jesus Christ who declared Joseph Smith to be a prophet in last week's lesson over 25 times already. And the, in the, uh, what, the second verse here today is already again declaring his witness, his testimony, his will concerning Joseph Smith that he is his prophet. My servant Joseph and build up cities unto my name that they may be prepared for that which is in store for a time to come. So a great uh, verse right away, Jesus declaring Joseph Smith to be his servant and mighty prophet upon the earth. Section 126, 
This is a revelation here given to Joseph Smith in the house of Brigham Young. Now, uh, uh, just recently, we saw in the Doctrine of the Covenants where Jesus Christ is already setting up Brigham Young to be his next servant and prophet. He already declared that Brigham Young was his servant. And we're going to get that again here in this section. Verse 1. Dear and well-beloved brother Brigham Young, verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Brigham. Brigham Young is a prophet of God. Jesus Christ declaring now for the second time in the Doctrine and Covenants that Brigham Young is his servant. Brigham Young is his prophet. He will succeed the prophet Joseph Smith very shortly. We see this July 9th, 1841. Within the next three years, the, the Brigham Young will become the leader of God's people, the leader of God's church upon the earth, his servant and his prophet. He says, it's no more required at your hand to leave your family, to go on these missions overseas and uh, far away for long periods of time from your family, for your offering is acceptable to me. I have seen your labor and toil in journeys for my name. I therefore command you to send my word abroad and take a special care of your family from this time. Henceforth and forever, amen. As, of course, we know, Brigham Young is going to end up having quite a few kids that he'll need to spend some time, with, some time with. He doesn't have time now to go journey for years at a time overseas to England or any other countries. Uh, he now just write uh, letters and write uh, epistles and uh, and uh, sermons and uh, carry the word of the Lord that way to these other uh, distant lands. Let's look at section 127. We'll look at two through five. And Joe Smith, again, talking about all the sufferings and trials he, he went through. It says, and as for the perils which I am called to pass through, they seem but a small thing to me. We've seen that before, right? That the uh, 80, 90 to 100 years we live on the earth is a very small time, small frame of time in comparison to the long period of time we lived before we came to the earth and the long eternity ahead of us. So the trials and temptations and, and disappointments of life is a very small amount of time uh, when considered in the time scale of eternity. So he says here that they seem but a small thing to me. As the envy and wrath of men have been my common lot all the days of my life. Everyone was, all the wicked was always jealous of him, envious that God and Jesus appeared to him, that the angels of heaven appeared to him, that he was given the golden place to translate the Book of Mormon from. He says, and for what cause it seems mysterious, unless I was or... I was ordained from before the foundation of the world for some good end. We know that. Jesus has declared that over 75 times since we started counting back in section 41. He says, judge ye for yourselves, God knoweth all these things, whether it be good or bad, but nevertheless, deep water is what I am wanting to swim in. It all has become a second nature to me, and I feel like Paul to glory in tribulation. Paul would talk about it. He, he gloried in the fact that he was found worthy by God to suffer for him, to be imprisoned, to be whipped, to be shipwrecked 
for the glory of God. Paul loved it. Paul rejoiced in those sufferings. For to this day has the God of my fathers delivered me out of them all and will deliver me from henceforth. For behold and lo, I shall triumph over all my enemies for the Lord God has spoken it. The same God who promises and fulfills his promises. He who is the Lord God that he should promise and shall not fulfill. He fulfills his promises. Let all the saints rejoice. Therefore, and be exceedingly glad for Israel's God, the same God who parted the Red Sea, who drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, who knocked down the walls of Jericho and let the people take over that city. That God, the God of Israel, is the God of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what a glorious thing that is to know. And to understand. And so he says you should rejoice in that knowledge. And he will mete out a just recompense of reward upon the heads of all their oppressors. You don't need to worry about suffering for the sake of the Jesus Christ church. Or for Jesus or for God. He will recommence and punish those who oppress you. And again, verily thus saith the Lord, let the work of my temple and all the works which I have appointed unto you be continued on and not cease. And let your diligence and your perseverance and patience and your works be redoubled and you shall no wise lose your reward, saith the Lord of hosts. And if they persecute you, so persecuted they the prophets and righteous men who were before you. They've always persecuted the saints of God, you should not expect anything other than persecution. For all, for all this, there is a reward in heaven. Your reward will be great. Your reward will be exaltations, dominions, principalities, kingdoms, uh, all heights, all depths. You shall be above the angels, as the, we'll learn later on in Doctrine and Covenants, section 132. And again, I give unto you a word in relation to the baptism for your dead. And so now he starts to talk about how, you know, what, what kind of recorders you need to have. How do you go about doing this baptism for the dead? And what a glorious doctrine, baptism for the dead. And the New Testament, Paul mentions it in the 1 Corinthians 15, 29, when he's arguing that there is a resurrection, because otherwise, if there were no resurrection, why are people... Why are the saints of God, the saints, the members of the church being baptized for the dead? The reason they're being baptized for the dead is because there is an afterlife. There is life after death. There is a resurrection. And now that's the reference we get from the, from the New Testament. So now we're getting the, complete, the full revelation concerning this glorious uh, doctrine. That the dead are not to be uh, suffer in hell or in spirit prison indefinitely forever and ever and ever just because they may not have had the opportunity to receive baptism by those who held the priesthood and authority of God. Seven through nine. That in all your recordings that may be recorded in heaven, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be may be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. For I am about to restore many things to the earth pertaining to the priesthood, baptisms, 
for the dead. The receipt of the Holy Ghost for the dead. Receiving the priesthood on behalf of the dead. Washings and anointings on behalf of the dead. Pertaining to the priesthood, saith the Lord of hosts, and again let all the records be had in order, that they may be put in the archives of my holy temple, to be held in remembrance from generation to generation, saith the Lord of hosts. So again, and he's continuing to declaring his testimony now concerning the temple, that the temple built by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is his temple. It is his house, the house of God. He accepts that house as his temple and his house. He can, he's declaring his witness and testimony of that here in this section. Okay, let's look at 128, and there's a lot of glorious things here. Let's begin with verse 5 through 13. You may think this order of things to be very particular. Now, he's just talking about how many witnesses you need to have, how the recorders to record, and these sort of things. So he says, you may think this order of things to be very particular, but let me tell you, it is only to answer the will of God by conforming to the ordinances and preparation that the Lord ordained and prepared from before the foundation of the world for the salvation of the dead, who should die without a knowledge of the gospel. So our great, glorious, all-wise, uh, all-knowing Heavenly Father knew before the foundation of the world that the gospel would spend a lot of years not being on the earth, that there would be a lot of people who would not have the opportunity to be baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God. So before the world was even created, he ordained this baptism for the dead to give people an opportunity who died without having the chance to embrace the gospel and embrace baptism to receive baptism that was performed by proxy by others in their name. Six, and further, I want you to remember that John the Revelator was complimenting this very subject in relation to the dead when he declared, as you will find recorded in Revelation 20, 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You will discover in this quotation that the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. But the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Consequently, the books spoken of must be books which contain the record of their works and refer to the records which are kept on the earth. And the book which was the book of life is the record which is kept in heaven, the principle agreeing precisely with the doctrine which is commanded you in the revelation contained in the letter which I wrote to you previous to my leaving my place, that in all your recordings it may be recorded in heaven. This book of life contains whether or not you were baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. And what other ordinances of the eternal everlasting gospel you have received. So they can know whether you're worthy of exaltation at the Father's right hand. Verse 8. Now, the nature of this ordinance consists in the power of the priesthood. By the revelation of Jesus Christ, wherein it is granted that whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That is the power of Jesus Christ to bind on earth and have it bound in heaven. 
and he gives that that power to his authorized servants upon the earth. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Or in other words, taking a different view of the translation, whatsoever you record on earth shall be recorded in heaven, and whatsoever you do not record on earth shall not be recorded in heaven. So therefore, it's important when you perform these baptisms and other temple work that you record it, so that by recording it, it will be recorded in heaven. If you don't record it on the earth, it will not be recorded in heaven. It says here, For out of the book shall your dead be judged, according to their own works, whether they themselves have attended to the ordinances. See, this book of life that John saw in Revelation 2012, that he saw in Revelation, contains whether or not you received the ordinances and which ordinances of the gospel you have received. They have attended to the ordinances in their own propria persona or by the means of their own agents, by proxy by those who went to the temple for, on their behalf. According to the ordinance which God has prepared for their salvation, again, he prepared all this before the foundation of even the world. He knew this was a must-needs-be. According to the records which they have kept concerning their dead, it may seem to some to be of the very bold doctrine that we talk of, a power which records or binds on earth and binds in heaven. Nevertheless, in all ages of the world, whenever the Lord has a, has given a dispensation of the fullness of the priesthood to any man by actual revelation or any set of men, this power has always been given, this power to bind on earth and have a bound in heaven, to baptize on earth, to have that uh, baptism recorded in heaven. That's always been given whenever there's been a true church upon the earth. Hence, whatsoever those men did in authority, having had the priesthood of God in the name of the Lord and did it truly and faithfully and kept a proper and faithful record of the same, it became a law on earth and in heaven and could not be annulled according to the decrees of the great Jehovah. This is a faithful saint who can hear it. So now he gives a reference here to Matthew 16 with Peter. And again, for the precedent, Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now the great and grand secret of the whole matter, and the sum and bonum of the whole subject that is lying before us consists in obtaining the powers of the holy priesthood. You need to obtain the powers of the holy priesthood. You obtain that by those who already hold the powers of the priesthood. If you live on the earth in a time in which the powers of the priesthood is not upon the earth, then you need to receive the same way that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery received it. You need to have those who held this power and authority come back as angels of God, lay their hands on your head, and ordain you unto such a power, unto such a, uh, authority, and such priesthood. For him to whom these keys are given, there is no difficulty in obtaining the knowledge of facts in relation to the salvation of the children of men, both as well as for the dead as for the living. Herein is glory and honor, and immortality and eternal life, the ordinance of baptism by water, to be immersed therein in order to answer to the likeness of the dead. 
So as you go into the temple and get baptized on behalf of the dead, you go under the water, representing that they died, right? Then you come forth out of the water, representing they're being raised in the resurrection of the dead and coming forth out of their graves. At the same time, it's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hence, this ordinance was instituted to form a relationship with the ordinance of baptism for the dead being in likeness of the dead. Consequently, the baptismal font was instituted as a similitude of the grave and was commanded to be in a place underneath where the living are wont to assemble to show forth the living and the dead and that all things may have their likeness, that they may accord one with another, that which is earthly conforming to that which is heavenly, as Paul hath declared in 1 Corinthians 15, 46, 47, and 48. Look at 15 through 24. And now, my dearly beloved brothers and sisters, let me assure you that these principles in relation to the dead and the living that cannot be lightly passed over as pertaining to our salvation. For their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. As Paul says concerning the fathers that they without us cannot be made perfect, neither can we without our dead may be perfect. And how is that? Well, how do you become perfect? How do you become like Jesus Christ? By learning to, do, to perform sacrifice, dedication of your time and efforts uh, to give in service to others. By taking time out of your lives and your busy schedules to go to the temple to perform baptisms for the dead, you're sacrificing yourself. You're developing love you're de and Christ-like attributes as you go forward there. And you're allowing it to be possible for your relatives to be with you in heaven. What great good would it be and what joy and happiness would you have if you're in heaven but your parents are not in heaven, or your siblings are not in heaven, or your children are not in heaven, or none of your ancestors or descendants are in, uh, are in heaven, right? It gives you fullness of joy to be there with your family, with your parents, with your siblings, with your children. And so, therefore, we cannot truly have a full salvation of joy and happiness without our dead. And they themselves cannot have a fullness of joy and happiness if they don't come live with us in heaven. So that's what he's talking about there. And now in relation, in verse 16, in relation to the baptism of the dead, I will give you another quotation of Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 29, which we've already looked at. Else what should they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And then again, in connection with this quotation, I will give you a quotation from one of the prophets who had his eyes fixed on the restoration of the priesthood, Malachi, right? The glory is to be revealed in the last days and in a special manner in the most glorious of all subjects belonging to the everlasting gospel, namely the baptism for the dead. For Malachi says, last chapter, verses 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah, my God is Jehovah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Jesus Christ will curse this earth if we don't perform baptisms and other ordinances on behalf of our dead. Why? Because 
if unless we perform such ordinances in the holy temple, again, as we looked at earlier, we cannot be with our kindred dead in the Lord. So therefore, it's as though we're being cursed. The earth is being cursed with a curse from Jesus Christ as we have a separation of families rather than a unity of families within the family unit living together with our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 18. I might have rendered a plainer translation to this, but it is sufficient plain to suit my purpose as it stands. It is sufficient to know in this case that the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there is a wielding link of some kind or other between the fathers and the children upon some subject or other. And behold, what is that subject? It is the baptism for the dead. For we without them cannot be made perfect, neither can they without us be made perfect. Neither can they nor we be made perfect without those who have died in the gospel also. But it is necessary in the ushering in the dispensation of the fullness of time, which dispensation is now beginning to usher in, that a whole and complete and perfect union and welding together of all dispensations, all keys, all powers, all glory should take place and be revealed from the days of Adam even to the present time. And not only this, but those things which never have been revealed from the foundation of the world, but have been kept hid from the wise and prudent, shall be revealed unto babes and sucklings in this, the dispensation of the fullness of times. We're teaching young children, five years old, six years old, about these glorious gospel truths that have been hid from the world since the foundation of the world, going back to the days of, the, of Adam. The young kids know about baptism for the dead. They know about holy temples. They know about going to the temple and being sealed to your husband or your wife, not only for until death do you part, but for time and for all eternity. Kids are, are learning these glorious, mighty, advanced doctrine, doctrinal teachings from the time they're born into this world. Now, and then here he's the, he, he, great, uh, just great language we're about to see here. Is, uh, it says here, 19, now what do, we, what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness, a voice of mercy from heaven. And a voice of truth out of the earth. A voice of gladness from the living and the dead. Glad tidings of great joy. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that bring glad tidings of good things. And that say unto Zion, behold, thy God reigneth. As the dews of Carmel, so shall the knowledge of God descend upon them. And again, what do we hear? Glad tidings from Camorra. The angel Moroni, an angel from heaven declaring the fulfillment of the prophets, the book to be revealed, even the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. A voice of the Lord in the wilderness of Fayette, Seneca County, declaring the three witnesses to bear record of the Book of Mormon. The voice of Michael on the banks of the Susquehanna, detecting the devil when he appeared as an angel of light. The voice of Peter, James, and John in the wilderness, restoring the Melchizedek priesthood, declaring themselves as possessing the keys of the kingdom, 
and of the dispensation of the fullness of times. And again, the voice of God in the chamber of old Father Whitmer in Fayette Seneca County and at sundry times and in divers places. They heard the voice of the Father often through all the tra travels and tribulations of this church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the voice of Michael, the archangel, the voice of Gabriel, and of Raphael, and of divers angels from Michael or Adam down to the present time, all angels, all former prophets who ever held keys of the priesthood came back and restored those keys to the prophet Joseph Smith, declaring their dispensations, their rights, their keys, their honors, their majesty and glory, and the power of their priesthood, giving line upon line, precept upon precept, here, there, here a little, and there a little. Revelation comes line upon line, precept upon precept. All the angels didn't suddenly appear in 1820 with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, and said, here you go, Joseph. Here's all the keys and all the revelation you ever need. No, it's been taking multiple years, different angels coming back, restoring different keys, different revelations from God, and, and restoring the church and establishing the church and getting it to begin to grow. Says in 22, Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on, on to the victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Let the earth break forth into singing. Let the dead speak forth anthems of eternal praise to the King Emmanuel, who hath ordained before the world was that which would enable us to redeem them out of their prison, for the prisoner shall go free. Question, what happens to those who die, having never been baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God? When they die, they go to spirit prison. They go to prison. They go to the traditional concept of hell, where they suffer, where there's weeping and gnashing and wailing of Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. What about if they were good on the earth? If they had not been baptized by those who hold the priesthood authority of God, they go to prison where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's a very clear doctrine very being taught once again here, right? But what happens when as soon as they, the righteous ones who did the best to live according to their conscience in the light of Christ, which is given to all men that come into the earth, as, as soon as they find out and know that someone had been baptized on their behalf in the holy temple, they are no longer a prisoner. They get to come out of the spirit prison, the spirit hell, and get to go to paradise or the traditional concept of heaven. Now, all this takes place until the millennium, millennium and when Jesus Christ, Christ comes back, right? Uh, if if the, uh, and then uh, at that point as they become resurrected that then you know they get assigned to one of these kingdoms celestial terrestrial telestial as Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen the glory of the sun the glory of the moon the glory of the stars but until we wait for that day you die you either go to hell or spirit prison or you go to paradise or heaven it's all going to be based on not only if you lived a good life, but did you receive the ordinances of the everlasting gospel? 
Did you receive baptism by those who held the priest and authority of God? If you haven't, you go to hell. You go to spirit prison until those ordinances are performed on, in your, on your behalf. And then you can embrace them, accept them, and come out from being a prisoner, out from the prison, and live with uh, in the spirit in the spirit world in the uh, in the paradise in in heaven with the holy angels, with the holy prophets of God. Until again, we wait the ultimate resurrection. So enables us to redeem them out of their prison, for the prisoner shall go free. Twenty three. Let the mountains shout for joy, and all ye valleys cry aloud, and all ye seas and dry lands tell the wonders of your eternal king, and ye rivers and brooks and rills flow down with gladness. Let the woods and all the trees of the field praise the Lord, and ye solid rocks weep for joy, and let the sun, moon, and the morning stars sing together, and let all the sons of God shout for joy, and let that eternal creation declare his name forever and ever. And again, I say, how glorious is the voice we hear from heaven, proclaiming in our ears glory and salvation and honor and immortality and eternal life, kingdoms, principalities, and powers. And 24, behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand, and who can abide the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let us therefore as a church and as a people and as Latter-day Saints offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And what shall be this great offering? This great offering in righteousness unto the Lord. Here we go. Listen and listen to how wonderful this is. And let us present in his holy temple when he when it is finished, when he comes back to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings for a thousand years, a book containing the records of our dead, which shall be worthy of all acceptation. We will give that record over to Jesus Christ showing all those who had the ordinances of the everlasting gospel performed on their behalf. We give that record over to Jesus Christ and he will accept it. What a glorious, beautiful day in doctrine we've looked at again today in these holy scriptures. Is there anything more wonderful, anything more beautiful to know that Jesus Christ is both the living, the God of, and the Savior of both the living and the dead? That those who died without having the opportunity to hear the gospel, to have the opportunity to be baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God, will have that opportunity with those going into holy temples of God, sacrificing their time, their, their efforts, their monetary resources to get to the temple so that they can perform these ordinances for them, so they can accept these ordinances on their behalf, come out, be redeemed from spirit prison, redeemed from being the prisoners in the spirit uh, prison in hell, and come forward and receive the light of Christ and the joy of Christ and the joy and happiness and peace that he offers us. 
I can't think of anything more glorious than now is a wonderful thing. We had a lot of letters being written by members of the church to other members that were serving on missions and so forth, telling what glorious doctrine this had just been revealed by God through his prophet, the prophet Joseph Smith. And they were going out and being baptized 16 times or so a day for anyone they could think of, their father, their mother, their whoever had died in their family they were doing. And so happy to go forward to, to redeem them, to be the redeemers, to be their saviors on Mount Zion, to save them from, from the spirit prison, from being prisoners, to let them come forward and, and to freedom. And freedom in Jesus Christ and the wonderful spirit paradise and heaven that God has in store for those who have received such ordinances and have lived a good and worthy lives. I challenge you. I invite you. Those of you who are not yet members of the church, what in the world it could be preventing you from becoming such, from embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? To come unto him and receive this wonderful blessing. Not only to be baptized yourself, to be able to open the gates of heaven, to return to live with your heavenly father, but the power to be able to go forward in the holy temples, the house of God upon the earth, to be baptized for those of you, your family members who have yet to, had, who never had that opportunity while they lived on the earth to hear the gospel, and to accept baptism by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. You can go forward and bless them to be there, to be their saviors and their redeemers, to redeem them from being prisoners in the spirit prison. Those of you who are not yet members, I invite you as a, uh, as a servant of God, I invite you in the name of Jesus Christ, to just click on that link in the description of this video. Reach out to the great missionaries of the church. Tell them you're ready to accept Jesus Christ and all the wonderful blessings he has in store for you and your ancestors who are dead. They will teach you the basic principles of the gospel that you need to know so that you become a baptized member of his church and kingdom. You can now become a Christian receiving and taking upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ, being baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. God then steps in, gives you a new name, that of a Latter-day Saint. You will be walking on the path leading back to eternal life and to the Heavenly Father's presence. For those who have drifted into inactivity, we welcome you with full arms. Come back. Come back to the joy and happiness that you don't currently have in your life. Come back and become one with the saints of God, one of God's people, as he continues to declare over and over again, so that he can bless you and that you can go to the temple and redeem your ancestors and those relatives of yours who are dead, having not received the ordinances of the gospel. I testify of how wonderful this gospel is. This is God's gospel, God's church. God's kingdom upon the earth. I testify of him, of his living reality, and of his soon to be forthcoming from the clouds of heaven with all the holy angels to reign as our Lord and our God. Of him we testify and we ask God to bless you 
with all the things you need in your life to meet the basic needs of your lives and to receive that peace and joy in your hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.